Welcome to Action Line. I am Jordan Lewis, and joining me today is State Senator Jesse Keel. How are you doing today? Good morning, Jordan. Good morning, everybody. Doing well on this uh, slushy morning. Definitely. So, first of all, what can you tell me? What's kind of going on in the legislature right now? I understand that you're part of the Education Committee. Yeah, the the Senate Education Committee has introduced a bill uh, to increase public education funding. Um, and that would take the, the base student allocation. It's how we set up our education funding formula and increase that by about 19 percent, 18, 19 percent. That's a thousand dollar per student increase. Uh, and and that just inflation proofs uh, education spending from about the last six or seven years. Um, but it's a huge and important uh, addition of resources for our schools that have been doing uh they did more with less, and now they're doing less with less, uh, and, and we're seeing it in our school budget uh, and, and in districts all across the state. So Senate Bill 52 adds $1,000 to the base student allocation, and that is a bill introduced by the Education Committee. Um, uh, worked with the chair on that, and Senator Tobin has uh, has put that bill forward as the committee's work product. Um, been hearing from a lot of school districts across the state. Uh, been hearing from a huge number of parents uh, about about their kids' education, um, and reminding legislators who, who haven't been thinking in this way that uh, their kids only get one shot uh, at their formative years, uh, picking up the skills they need to, to be productive adults in our society. So um, that's, been a, that's been a major focus of the last uh, several days. Okay. I mean, I would say that, you know, focusing on that education funding would definitely be important because I know over the last, I mean, it's probably pretty much as long as I can remember, there's always been that talk of like there's sort of that brain drain for the state because there's not a lot of funding for education. And so then you have educators that don't feel supported and then they leave. And so then you have students that don't feel supported because their educators don't support them either. You know, that that uh, dynamic can be a vicious cycle or with strong schools, it can be a virtuous cycle. Um, back uh, uh, in the 80s, when there was a big oil price crash, the state of Texas was an oil state in a big way. Um, and they took a different path than Alaska. They invested heavily in education um, from kindergarten right up through university. Um, and, and they built a knowledge economy along with their oil economy. Right now, there are investment houses in Texas. There are uh, tech operations in Texas. It's a computer hub. It's a research, research and development hub. There, are, uh, there is a broadly diversified economy in what used to be an oil state. Alaska went the other way back in the 80s, and we're pretty much still an oil state. So we, we have the ability to turn this around and really build Alaska a future. Um, so this is a first step on that road. Definitely. And do then, I was going to say, do you think that if we were generally were to, you know, focus more on that education, kind of moving away from the oil state, obviously, I don't think we would ever probably move away from the oil state because of how much of a, a role that that plays in our economy. But what are some of the things that you think we could see out of that greater education focus? Well, the best thing about it, uh, Jordan, is is that uh, it's it's not what I see, right? It's, it's what every entrepreneur sees. It's what every uh, young person thinking, hey, you know, I could make that work, sees uh it's it's what the the you know the tech innovators and, and other people see and and in this time when we're going more and more to remote work uh, across the country and across the world um people want to live where they want to live and they're able to work where they want to live 
But there are some factors that are local, right? And one of those is, hey, where are my kids going to get educated? Are, are there good schools? Um, we need to be uh, one of those places. We've got the natural beauty. We've got the natural resources. We've got the lifestyle. Um, and, and certainly we don't have, uh, you know, 130 degrees in the summertime uh, with climate change like you're starting to see in some of the, the desert states. Um, we we can be that incredibly attractive place, but one of those one of those things that is place based um, is is where you send your kids to school. Definitely, definitely. Now I know another topic I wanted to hit with you on was let me look at my list of topics here was definitely going to be uh, the marine highway system. So what what's been going on with that lately? The marine highway system is is digging its way uh, out of the hole um, that uh, that massive budget cuts put it in. Uh, along with years and years of neglecting um, our vessels and, and failing to replace aging vessels. We've we've scrapped some aging vessels, but we haven't done much in the way of vessel replacement. So with the federal infrastructure money um, that, that passed, uh, we are starting to really pivot a strong focus onto vessel replacement. Um, in the Senate Transportation Committee last week, we met with uh, the leadership of the Marine Highway System, uh, and with the Marine Highway Operations Board, which is a citizen board um, charged with creating both long-term and short-term plans for the marine highway system. We have been through too many cycles where new political leadership comes in. They say, no, we want to take the marine highway system in a different direction. And we take, you know, tens of millions of dollar dock investments or $100 million uh, uh, vessel investments. And we say, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Uh, we don't think that was a good idea, and we're going to do something different. It's, as the saying goes, it's no way to run a railroad. In this case, it's no way to run a ferry system. So um, with the Marine Highway Operations Board, we have a group that's really trying to dig deep and look at um, a, a concrete plan. And, and some of the things they've been working on uh, have been phenomenal um, and make a lot of sense. There are some issues that we talked about with that uh, group that, um, that they couldn't explain, um, and so, you know, just like any group, uh, nobody's going to agree on everything, but they are absolutely digging deep um, and doing the work. So uh, what you saw in the Transportation Committee was that focus on what's the plan look like? Um, are we going to use these once-in-a-generation infrastructure dollars? It's a, it's a five-year window, these infrastructure dollars, um, to replace old ships. So we have a reliable system that costs less to run. Alaskans can count on it, know when the ferry's coming, know that there's a ferry coming. Um, if we do that, the marine highway system will be decades ahead, um, and we can continue to set up the next set of vessel replacements, because these boats cost a chunk of money. So um, that's what we've been, been focusing on. Uh, the notion of, of spending $24, $28 million to put crew quarters on one of the only new boats we have that's actually reliably making the runs, um, the Taslina. Um, that's a weird one. Doesn't make much sense. Um, she can't visit any more ports as a result of that. Um, and and again, I'm I'm not sure why you'd uh, take a vessel that makes all its runs as scheduled and say, yeah, that's where we want to spend all our money, not on replacing um, these ships that often are down unexpectedly for extra months at a time. Unexpectedly, we find wasted steel and it's tens of millions more dollars just to get them sailing again. The other thing that we're working on with the Marine Highway System, of course, is the crew challenge. Um, we were more than 100 mariners down before the Great Resignation, the pandemic uh, result. Um, 
and and uh, we have just barely held steady since then, despite some really major efforts. So we continue to work hard to find able-bodied seamen or people who are willing to train to be able-bodied seamen on the marine highway system. We now have the budget that if you're on the system, you'll actually have work. <laughs> you can pay your bills. Um, you know, no surprise when when uh, they were tied to the dock, um, we lost a lot of folks who, who took blue water contracts and said, you know, I'm going to go make enough money to pay the mortgage. Um, we're, we're digging out of that hole, and we're going to get there. Um, it's slower than we'd like. Gotcha. You know, it's definitely important, especially for Southeast, the marine highway system, because obviously with everyone being on the coast, that's one of the biggest ways for us really to get around other than just flying everywhere, which is its own whole thing that we don't really have too much control over, just on the state level anyway. It's it's utterly essential. And, and not only is it critical to us here at Juneau, but you look at our neighboring communities and it becomes even more important as a chunk of their economy, as the ability of people to travel, uh, people's ability to get to, to health care. You know, um, one of the great advocates, actually, for, for keeping the marine, marine highway system healthy are our small air carriers. Um, you'd think they'd be in competition, but you, you don't move uh, a store's worth of, of supplies, of, of inventory, on a, on a small plane, right? You don't move a house worth of building materials on a small plane. You, you got to take those on the water. Uh, and, and if there's not an economy in our, in our neighboring communities, right, in Huna and Angoon and Haines and Skagway and Gustavus and so on, um, they don't have anybody to fly. <laughs> so they have been great supporters of making sure that we actually have this vital piece of infrastructure, working and healthy. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that that is actually quite surprising to me because I would think that they would be in competition with each other. Coming up here in a bit, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back to Action Lines on KINY. And welcome back to Action Line with Jordan Lewis. I have my guest here, Senator Jesse Keel. Now, another big topic I want to talk to you about is the the bipartisan coalition of the 17 members in the state Senate. So what, how has that been going? That's been going really well. Um, it's it's a really broad group. So um, it is all nine of the Senate Democrats. It is eight of the eleven Senate Republicans. So it's it's just about exactly even, Stephen. And and if you look at that caucus, that majority coalition, what we've done is we've split the leadership positions. We split the the committee memberships, um, even, Stephen. So if you've got you know three Republicans and two Democrats on one committee, you've got three Democrats and two Republicans on the next one. What that does is it means we can just put aside the party labels. You know the other party isn't going to stick it to you. They, they can't. We've set it up that way. And so we can just work on the issues in front of Alaska. I mean, there are, there's enough real work to do that we don't need to waste time on party games, right? Save party games for when your kid turns 12. Let's let's just focus on the issues facing Alaska families, facing Alaska's economy. I mean, Jordan, I got to tell you, I, I went out to um, an award ceremony that the Juneau Police Department did this week, um, where they gave citizens life-saving awards. They gave officers um, awards for extraordinary courage or heroism, and, and also for life-saving. And I've been to those before, um, and and they're inspirational, right? It's amazing what Juneau citizens will do just stepping up. It's amazing what our first responders do every day. Um, and I'm glad we recognize them. But I got to tell you, something struck me. Usually when you see those life-saving medals, someone has responded to a car crash. 
someone has responded to a kid falling off a dock in the water, so, something that happens, right? I Almost every metal was responding to an attempted suicide, and, and it breaks your heart, right? We have some real issues facing us. And so, so looking at those things and what the state needs to do to help out families, to help out our society do better, that there's more work to do than there is time in the day. So um, what does that have to do with how the political caucus are arranged in the Senate? It's a group of 17 people who are about doing the work. Um, and, and we have gotten off to a strong start. Um, we are starting our, our budget analysis here on the governor's budget proposal. And, of course, what, what the state funds is, determines what the state does or does not do. And so um, all of these issues, these policy issues, these budget issues, um, we're, we're going to, you know, come up for air again in May. But while we're, while we're swimming hard um, and pulling on these issues, um, it's good to know that um, we just have people who – Different philosophies, different opinions generally um, are working on ways we can move Alaska forward together. And, and so that's what we've got. Uh, we've hit a couple of uh, places where we definitely don't have unanimous agreement. That's okay, right? It's a group of, of folks who are, who are working through those um, just, like, just like you'd hope we will. Serious discussion, um, serious work on the issues to find things uh, we can agree on. Definitely. And I, and I agree, it's definitely pretty pretty disheartening to see a lot of those awards are for responding to suicides. I know I was talking with Senator Sullivan about it yesterday. There's a large part of that Action Line broadcast where we talked about mental health and the importance of discussing mm-hmm. that and trying to destigmatize it. And so that actually makes me want to ask you more. So what kind of work is being done, if you're in the loop on it, within the state legislature to kind of help sort of do more advocacy for mental health and getting more in the budget to kind of help kind of lower those numbers and such. So it, it, it really runs, um, runs the gamut just from things like, uh, as a, as a starting point, what you just said, right? Destigmatizing mental health. You, you break your leg, you go to the hospital, right? When, when your emotional and mental system isn't working right, right? Everybody gets sad. We're not talking about sad, but when, when you can't get past things, um, you need help, <laughs> and, and that's we have mental health professionals who can help you, um, and it's health care. That's, that's what it is. It's not um, some of the old myths about weakness or about, um, about upbringing having something to do. It's, it's about health care, right? But that's just a start. We also talk um, and need to work on how we get more providers, and that's very difficult right now. There is no state with a whole bunch of extra professional counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists looking around going, gee, I wonder where I can get work. Everybody's short. Um, but but we need to make the investments here in Alaska um, and some of our community mental health providers. Um, we need to coordinate our systems so that Bartlett is not duplicating what Search is doing, is not duplicating what uh, you know other private uh, providers are doing. Um, and that we're building an efficient um, uh, system of health care so that when people have a need, um, they can find uh, a clinician. And so um, those efforts are ongoing. And then, of course, there is the funding piece, right? Because while we're very fortunate here in Juneau to live in a place where a lot of folks have health insurance, not everybody does. Um, and so we need to fund community mental health providers. Um, JAMI does 
phenomenal work, um, but we need our community behavioral health grants um, to keep up with inflation. Um, they have not. In fact, they've been cut in, in nominal dollars um, in recent years. And you, you can't keep up with the rising cost of everything with the same number of dollars. There's no way to do it with a declining number of dollars. So we've got some makeup to do. Um, and of course, that's that's challenging because there's only so many dollars. The state doesn't have a printing press like Uncle Sam does. Um, and so we uh, we have a lot of work we're doing on setting our priorities and figuring out where the funding comes from. Absolutely. Now, let's see what else I've got here. Another big one is uh, looking at the long-term fiscal plan for the state. How's that been looking? Oh, uh, I've got that done. We're all set. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you're, you're focusing on, on the major issues, Jordan, and, and that's really important. Um, and, but they wouldn't be major issues if they were easy to solve. Um, that continues to be a focus. Uh, the House Ways and Means Committee had a hearing uh, last week uh, to go over the recommendations of the Fiscal Policy Working Group. That was a bipartisan, bicameral, both House and Senate uh, group uh, that I was a member of in 2021. And we came up with a set of recommendations that could get Alaska's economy off this roller coaster. When oil is the only thing that pays the bills, um, we're fat when oil prices are high and we're starving when they're low. Um, and of course, that's uh, that's a difficult environment for people to invest in a business, to build housing. Right? If you don't know, it's going to take me two years to build these. Is anybody going to have a job when I, it's time for me to sell them? <laughs> right? That contributes to our housing crunch, just being on this unpredictable roller coaster. So um, the politics of a of a fiscal plan are very very hard because people's philosophies really do come in to these issues. There are a lot of people who think what we need is a spending cap, and then we can solve our fiscal problems. But their belief is if we, if we do anything that provides the state more revenue, it'll instantly get spent, uh, and we'll be right back in the same position again. Now, history doesn't necessarily show that's true. We've saved a huge amount of money knowing that Alaska goes on this roller coaster, and we, we're going to be hit lean times next. Um, but but certainly some needs get met when there's cash to meet them. Um, and the problem with the spending cap is that it assumes our generation knows the exact right size of government, and no generation that comes after us could ever be right if they had a different view, could ever see a need that um, we don't have today that, that must be addressed together as government rather than by individual businesses. Um, and so um, it's also a little bit anti-democratic, right? You know how we set the government spending levels? We have elections, and Alaskans decide who they want to represent their values. Uh, and sometimes Alaskans pick people who say we need to serve more needs here, and sometimes they pick people who say we need to cut the budget, even though we're going to serve fewer needs. That's how democratic republics work. Um, and so if, if, if one of the prerequisites to addressing Alaska's revenue problems um, and this roller coaster of instability um, with different types of revenue that are more stable um, is is something that changes our constitution in a permanent way. Boy, I tell you, it's it's tough to come to, to agreement. Now, I think there are ways you can do it that are, well, I mean, I guess I'll say uh, not automatically disastrous. <laughs> They're not utterly crazy. Um, I 
still don't particularly think they're good ideas. The flip side of the same coin, and I'm, I'm sorry for going on a minute, but the flip side of the same coin is there are people who believe taxes are inherently evil. Um, and they're inherent, and, and to have taxes just means you're going to have a crummy economy. I, that, that's not correct, right? History doesn't show that. Academic research doesn't show that. We, we know that when we look around the world. But it's, you look around, oh, geez, people pay taxes and they build an economy. Look at Alaska history, right? Some of our state's biggest and fastest economic growth was when we had an income tax, right? Now, we didn't have the growth because of the income tax, but it didn't stop a growing economy from being healthy. So um, getting past that philosophy, just like my philosophical objections to uh, spending limits, is, is a very difficult thing with all 60 legislators who really truly believe the things they've told the voters when they went and campaigned. It's a narrow pathway to get to a fiscal plan, but we've got to keep working on it because this roller coaster economy really hurts um, Alaskans' opportunities and the chance the next generation has to build the kind of future we all want them to have. So, long answer to tell you we're still working on it. It's still hard, but we can't give up. All righty. Well, thank you, Senator Keel, for taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thanks, Jordan. I, I appreciate it, and thanks, everybody, for listening. It's, it's always good to talk with you. I hope um, if you ever want to talk more about these things or if you have issues with government you want help with, uh, give my office a call. It's 465-4947, or just email me. All righty, then. has been Action Line for KINY.